Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Veterans are who we are, what we talk about, who we fight for. This podcast sheds light on real issues facing our veterans. It informs the uninformed, it celebrates their triumphs, and provides hope to those fighting a silent battle. This is Upholding Valor. And welcome. I'm Jill Atwood, Director of Communications for the VA Rocky Mountain Region and your host for Upholding Valor. I want to dig a little deeper into what's happening on American streets, in American cities, large and small, the protests surrounding inequality and race, the conversations that are happening around dinner tables, the conversations that should be happening but are not, and the polarizing climate simmering beneath it all. I've been thinking about this a lot, and my thought is, you know, how do I talk to my kids about this and some of the violence that we have witnessed? How do I feel about this personally, given my background and upbringing? It's tough. It it seriously makes me heart sick. What do I really know as as a white female, really a white privileged female? I have never truly walked in the shoes of someone who is viewed as different or less than because of skin color or sexual orientation. And I want to make it very clear that VA serves all veterans no matter their race, religion, gender, age, or sexual orientation. We serve all who have served and embrace that diverse background and experience. Now, I'm joined by a veteran today who had to keep quiet for a very long time about who she really was. And I'm also joined by a true veteran advocate who ensures veterans feel comfortable and included while receiving VA services. So we're going to get into it a little bit today. Please welcome Cynthia Hudgens. She is an Army veteran. And Michelle Wilcox. She is the LGBT Veteran Care Coordinator uh, for VA and, and the local facility here at VA Salt Lake City. Thank you both for being here so much. I really appreciate it. I know I was talking a lot, but there's a lot to talk about, right? Um, A lot of questions, a lot of conversations surrounding Black Lives Matter and how the societal movement impacts our veterans. And and Cynthia, as an an Army veteran, I want to start with you. And I just want to get your thoughts on what you've witnessed over the last month is this movement for real this time? Um, is is this truly a time of change? I mean, what does this bring up for you as a as a, a gay woman who served in the military for a long time and felt the need 
to stay quiet about who you really are for so long. It just feels like the civil rights movement back when I was a kid. I was like 12 years old when all of that was going on. Um, and it, enough has not changed. It feels like the black community, and I'm, I'm not friends with anyone that's black, so I cannot really speak for the community, but all that pent-up rage for the systemic poverty and the systemic, because of the systemic, systemic poverty, not being able to get the education and to get out of the ghettos, uh, to not be considered on equal par with someone with the same education, um, to, to be able to walk into a store and buy any product and not be asked if they, you know, put it in their handbag kind of thing. Sure. You know, sure. Um, to be stopped on the street. One of, uh, one of our community uh, happens to be a gay black man, and he's stopped regularly when he's driving. He was stopped four times one night. I can't imagine. What's so, that like? What, is it, what does he say about that? And that's just normal. It's it's frustrating, but it's you know you put your hands on the steering wheel because any movement, and I don't know, um, I don't know what that's like. I mean, when I get pulled over by police, you know, if they see me reaching into my glove compartment, they assume that I'm getting out my registration, sure, not a weapon. So I don't have to be careful. But it made me think about if I was black, I couldn't move at all. And I had to, I'd have to say very clearly and move very slowly, I'm getting out my registration now. I'm going to bring uh, Michelle into this conversation and, and Cynthia continue to chime in. But we were talking before we started, and I see this as more than, I, I think Black Lives Matter is, is the title we're putting on this. But I think it's about everyone who's ever felt lesser or slighted or discriminated against based on sexual orientation, race, religion, age, gender, whatever it is. What are your what are your thoughts on that? I would agree. I find it really invigorating that right now we're saying it's it's really enough. It's it's time to stop treating people as less than. Um it's a minority is a minority, whether that's a woman, whether that's you're treated differently for your sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, um, you know, it's, it's the same and, uh, it looks different for each one, but it's, it's hopeful. It's hopeful that maybe we can make some change. Hopeful with, without the violence. I can't, I can't speak to the, to the violence and the people who seem to be taking advantage of the situation, but I find it 99% hopeful as well. What are your thoughts, Cynthia? Well, I know because that, I think it's about you as well. Well, the violence escalates things. I mean, I remember the Kent State massacre and bringing in the military, and a lot of the folks who have served in the military don't think that's a good idea. We're not a police force. To bring in the military, even the National Guard, we're not trained as policemen. We're not trained in riot control. And um, the threat of arming our military against our own civilians, that's not good. And as I understand, I'm not, I'm not a scholar by any means, but as I understand the fundamentals of the Constitution, there were certain um, restraints put on the military so that that would never happen. The military can't just walk into your home and seize your home and make it a headquarters for their, for their operations. 
like we did uh, in war zones and throughout Europe. You know, they'd take over a palace and make that the headquarters. So... Talk to me about your time in the military. Speaking of the, the military, you're an arm, army veteran. What did what did you do in the army, and how? And you mentioned that you stayed quiet for a really long time about who you really are. Well, I was in denial about who I was. I had belonged to two different fundamentalist religions, converted to from one to the other when I went into the army. And both of those religions basically taught that it was a sin against God Almighty and that the Almighty uh, hated me and would send me straight to hell. Um, So I was in denial for decades. um, Internally. Internally. um, And a decision I had made early on, too, was, was my career instead of marrying and having kids. Because I'm of the generation that that marrying and having kids was not an option really it's either one or the other um so what did you do in the what did you do in the army well i wanted to fly for the air force i was in air force rotc and i found out that they were not accepting women and the army opened its doors to women in 70 three or four, Mm -hmm. I think, and I enlisted in 75 and eventually got into flight school. I flew the Vietnam-era Huey for 20 years and then the Black Hawk for 16. Where did you train in Fort Rucker? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's where I trained as well for ATC school. Yeah. Hot and humid. We can talk about that later. Air traffic controllers tell pilots where to go. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Um, so, So tell me more. It was the don't ask, don't tell time that um that happened at a bad time in my life i mean i was i was closeted and not involved with anyone until clinton got into office and i got involved with someone for the first time in my life and i'm going oh crap and the don't ask don't tell i mean as a woman um there's very few of us pilots women pilots Mm -hmm. And the guys that I was with at the time didn't know that they had PTSD from Vietnam, didn't know what to do with it. And um, I was verbally harassed a lot at my first duty station. I was overseas in Panama at the time. Um, And I didn't have the wherewithal to deal with it. I couldn't comprehend what they were going through, that they would take it out on me. Sure. So um, I was never actually sexually assaulted, but there was enough hatred there. Um, Just verbal? Yeah. What types of things would they say to you? I can't remember. Okay. To be honest. Um, But it was laced with with real hatred. Mm -hmm. So I felt threatened with sexual assault 24-7, but I was never actually assaulted. Um, And then when Clinton came out with Don't Ask, Don't Tell, I'm going, oh, shit. Now they have a reason to sexually assault me because I'm lesbian. Do and you think they knew that? Yeah, it was an open secret. I mean, it's it's like you can't really hide what you are mm-hmm. the, to the best of your ability. Um, then why did you? Because I was worried about losing my career. At the time, even under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, if you say the words, I am gay, then they can prosecute you out of the military. If you never say the words, but they have probable cause, they can find some other reason that you can't 
um, contest really well. Mm-hmm. And you lose your career, you lose your benefits, you lose your retirement, all on a less than honorable discharge. All for being who you are. All for being who I am. And there's there's some veterans who have been processed out, and it says dishonorable or less than honorable due to sexual orientation. There's DD-214s that actually say that. So the veterans have had to have um, their dignity reinstated by having that clause taken out of their DD-214 and having the status changed to honorable. Um and that affects your being able to have a job, too. Sure. You know, so it's very punitive. And how long were you in the military? Nearly four decades. Oh, my goodness. I was active duty nearly five years, uh, in active reserves for about four, and in the Utah Guard for 30. Mm-hmm. Any, um, did you go to Desert Storm or... No, serve? we did okay. not deploy in the 90s. Okay. I didn't go to war till 2003. You did? During the invasion of Iraq. Okay. Wow, I'm sure that was something. Yeah, it was It was kind of irony because when I put the uniform on, I'm going, oh, I can put in 20 years and never see war. And that's true. I got my 20-year letter the year before I went to war. You could have gotten out. Yeah, but I wouldn't have been able to draw my retirement till age 60. And something tells me you loved what you did. Yeah. So you, when did things change for you? And then now you're here at the VA seeking services. So I, I imagine you you needed something. Well, someone. earlier when we were talking about, uh, well, when I had stated the blacks and their pent-up rage, I can understand that because I had four decades of pent-up rage. Yeah. That I couldn't be who I was. I couldn't date who I wanted to without risking everything. I was in a high-profile MOS, Military Occupational Specialty, as a helicopter pilot. Everybody knew who I was. And it's a high-stress It's a high-stress environment. And the next woman aviator was 20 years younger than me. So I had no female peer group for years. I was the 27th woman to graduate from Army Flight School in 1977. Wow. And I was the only woman pilot for for quite a while. So cool. In in most of my career. You're right. She is awesome. So, um, what was the question again? <laughs> oh, the pent-up rage. The pent-up rage. So that pent-up rage led me to the VA. Yeah. Because I'm going, I I am over-the-top angry, wanting to bite people's heads off, and I don't know what to do with this. Uh, I happened to be in a gay bar. No, the Pride Center mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and Breeze Hannaford had these flyers made out. You know, if you've been harmed by Don't Ask, Don't Tell, it was a, it was the uh, rainbow flag with a helmet yeah. on it. And if you've been harmed by Don't Ask, Don't Tell, we have a Friday group uh, at one thirty. And it was speaking directly to so you. So I just showed up. I didn't go through any in-processing or anything else. I'm going, i gotta, I got to do something about this. And then I found out about dialectic behavior therapy, which helped me with um, self-advocacy skills and negotiation skills because I didn't even know how to advocate for myself for simple things. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michelle Cynthia isn't, she's not alone. I mean, 
you're helping countless veterans with with similar backgrounds, um, you know, different genders. Talk to me a little bit about the program that she's talking about and and what resources we have um, for those who have struggled so long in, in silence or have been so discriminated again against throughout their military career and then even beyond after it's over. Well, I can say Salt Lake City has been serving LGBT veterans since 2008. Uh, Breeze Hannaford had started the program before it its inception. So um, I think it's been a place of um, safety for veterans to come and, and talk about what's happened to them. We have excellent therapists that can treat PTSD. We do a lot of training so people are culturally competent and provide care that um, says, hey, you know, you're welcome here. We, we are sure to provide, I don't know if you see signs um, that have pictures of people who are LGB as well, that, that they can see who they, this is a picture of me. That means I am welcome here. You see rainbow lan- lanyards that says, I can maybe approach this person. So we're trying to make this a warm and welcome environment that they are included as well. Well, and also there's the the poster in the front of the building that was very meaningful to a lot of us. It says, we serve all who serve. And there's Mm -hmm. uh, the stethoscope and right by it are rainbow dog tags. Yeah. So we're going, oh, is I that could, a I shock? Could be, I could be really, open here. Was that really a my, shock to you? Literally, my first coming out of the closet was in that group, publicly. Wow. Because I had one friend, I had a therapist years before, and um, I just was that closeted. I was that afraid. Yeah. Well, I mean, 40 years yeah. of... of hiding who you truly are how are you don't ask don't tell crashed the year before i retired and the defense of marriage act crashed the year i was retiring and then uh gay marriage was the year after that so right as i'm leaving all the things that i wished had been in place the whole time come about sure and i know eva has evolved so much in this lane just in the little over decade that I've that I've worked here so I'm so glad that you're taking advantage I'm so glad you stumbled upon the flyer that spoke to you how are how are things now and how are these resources changing your life and thank you for your service by the way mm, thank you you're amazing um I'll be forthright I mean when I first came here I was over the top angry and out of control and also I had a very entrenched victim mindset I'm going the army screwed me up and it's your job to fix me and I didn't realize how I was to take responsibility for my own healing and so when I took the dialectic behavior therapy class uh, I gave the doctor that was running that just a run for his money because I was taking it out on him um what changed it for me is the environment here at this VA. One day, it all of a sudden dawned on me that none of the therapists were judging me. That they actually had my back. Um, they called me on my behavior, which was completely out of line and disrespectful. 
but never at any time did they judge me as a, as a person for my orientation, for my issues, for my mental health issues. They just were adult to adult holding me, holding boundaries, appropriate boundaries with my behavior until I finally get it that it's my responsibility to take full responsibility for my healing. And once I did that, I didn't have the victim mindset anymore. I'm going, oh, I can work this. You know, they're evidently what they're telling me actually works if I work it. It's kind of like the old adage in the 12-step program, it works if you work it, you know. Um, Talk, learn, educate, listen, everything that we are doing within these walls that I wish would happen universally. And that, it, that, was, that was the life changer for me because when I came here I had no people skills zero um, and learning how to respect other people by the way the therapist modeled respect mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. and the number one thing was preserving dignity um, When I, that's something they never said out loud it's just that they modeled it and I had to get that for myself when I realized they were preserving my dignity then it behooved me to, when I negotiate things, to preserve the dignity of the other person. So I look back to the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King and his nonviolence, which he borrowed from Gandhi. And, it, and Gandhi was all about preserving the dignity of everyone involved, the oppressor as well as the oppressed. Because if you preserve the dignity of the oppressor in the midst of calling them on their behavior, just like the therapists do here... Mm-hmm. They call me on my behavior and it's inappropriate because it's inappropriate to their dignity. I am robbing them of their dignity when I attack like I do. And that's basically what what Gandhi did. He preserved dignity on both sides. And he won over many of the British people because they realized, oh, this is inappropriate to treat these people as less than human. You know, so we don't have the leadership that we did with Martin Luther King Jr., and the Kennedys, and um, we just, we don't have that like we did. We assassinated our future back in the 60s. That's so well said. Thank you for for sharing. I appreciate it. Thank you for being so brave and, and candid about it all. Michelle, um, before we go, I want to talk a little bit about your program and the resources, and what are you seeing and sensing and feeling over the last six weeks or so, has, is the topic coming up? Are people talking about it? How is your program adjusting, helping, de- dealing with stuff that's really, I mean, it's infiltrating all of us, regardless of who we are or our backgrounds? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we do um, at least six groups um, a week, and um, we do those currently because of the coronavirus um, online. But I think um, it strikes a chord, obviously, because, you know, when you're a minority and you're, you're discriminated against, as Cynthia says, it's, it's rage, it's hurt, it's painful. And um, we do a lot of processing about how that's impacting them Mm -hmm. in their life and what that brings up for them. Mm -hmm. And um, I really think, um, we just try to hold space for them to to discuss what's happening. But we have we also have some of our veterans very involved in supporting Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. because I think 
that's they resonate they see it as a bigger yes, movement they really resonate and want to support you know feeling feeling like you can be who you are mm-hmm. and and that that's true of any minority group how does one get in touch with your program if they're listening how do they find you they can find us on the internet they can just type in if you just do a google search you can uh, just type in uh, Salt Lake City VA LGBT. Um, they can um, reach out to me via telephone at extension 3481. That's just calling the main yep. uh, just VA hospital. calling number. the main yep. hospital. And um, I'm kind of a do-it-all for LGBT, connecting people to stuff they need and advocating for them and making sure that um, our providers are doing a good doing a good job in providing culturally appropriate care. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate you being here. Cynthia, thank you once again. It was an honor to meet you, and thanks again for your service. And thanks for joining us today for Upholding Valor, all of you. Stay safe, take care of each other, and be kind. This is Jill Atwood. I am a VA employee, Army veteran, and veteran of Desert Storm, and all of this is very personal to me. There is no greater mission than to serve and fight for those who fought for us. Thanks for listening, and thanks for caring. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe or rate us, or better yet, tell a vet. And tell a friend to tune in by texting veterans to 57500 or go to kslthree60.com slash veterans. VA is honored to serve you. Talk to you next time.